2017 is I think maybe one of the more one of the more hopeful stories that we could bring on today just you know side note it's inauguration day we're recording this on inauguration day January 20th and um, there's there's some heavy heavy thoughts in the air but I'm really excited to be joined today by Basil Almadani who is the mastermind as I wanted to call you, um, of Basil and the Supernaturals. Basil and the Supernaturals is a nine-piece funk, neo-soul. I like to think there's a little folk happening in there, too. Um, But a really amazing, wonderful Chicago band that has some really interesting stories and ties and has a great new project coming out. So we're going to talk about a little bit of that, a little bit of political climate stuff. Um, And then we'll play some what slash if. Basil. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a day to be here. I get it. It I is get a day. It. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we usually try to start with kind of a, a baseline question that we like to ask everyone, which is, who are you? I am Basil. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get it? Um, yes. Yeah. Check plus. Uh, no, I'm Basil. I'm a product of two Syrian people. My mother and my father are both from Aleppo, Syria. So we it's really just my immediate family here in the States. I was born and raised in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, <clears throat> between Akron and Cleveland. Have you heard of Kent State University before? I have. I mean, I, well, you know, for bad... I got really excited there for yeah. a second, but, like, for not so good reasons. But, yeah. yes. Well, I grew up in the town of Kent, Ohio. Got it. Uh, also known for their black squirrels. <laughs> it is... In, I did not know that. It's Yeah, it was abnormal to see not black squirrels. Well, you know Kent. what? The next time someone asked me about Kent State... They're like... Oh, yeah, Kent, Ohio, with the black squirrel. That is that is what it's known for now in my yeah, brain. Yep. That's I spent four years of my life working at the, at the black squirrel pub, washing <laughs> dishes and serving <laughs> tables and doing whatever. So, um, All right. Yeah, so that's I grew up in Northeast Ohio, uh, was born and raised there, and then ultimately moved to Columbus, Ohio. To, and I went to Ohio State. And then the Ohio here? State. Uh, so I graduated from Ohio State in like the midst of the recession uh so right around like 2009 2010 is when things got really crummy if i remember correctly and um between my 3rd and 4th year i did an internship with Sears the corporate office okay and um that so i moved to chicago for that summer and i was just like on the hustle i was working as a I was working as a as a market representative for the for Cornerstone Promotions. They did like Fader magazine, um, and a lot of different like lifestyle promotions and stuff. So oh, I would, nice. I was doing rep work for them at festivals at like Lollapalooza and North Coast and stuff. Um, so I was just and I was just hustling on the music thing. Just like n- wanted to be in a city and create something for myself in the midst of the recession. Yeah. So it was either Chicago, New York, or L.A. 
Um, my brother lived in Chicago, so I had sort of a base. Well, I was going to say, you chose right between the three of those. You Thank know, you. No judgment here. <laughs> I'm from here, no but bias. you know. Yeah, so Chicago sort of like, it, it made sense as, as, as something to try out. But I, I knew I wanted to be in a city so I could pursue playing music. It was yeah. really important to me. And so um, I did that internship, and then it was so funny. Like, I just didn't take it seriously at all, but ultimately <laughs> got a full-time offer out of it. And then nice. I, I came back. Um, as soon as I graduated, I released an album. I toured for uh, a month, and in the middle of that, moved to Chicago, finished the tour, and then immediately started working, like, full-time. Mm. Um, yeah, I spent four years of my life, actually, Commuting to Hoffman Estates from Chicago, uh, <laughs> oh back and gosh. forth every day. So That's four years intense. of my life doing doing Sears. That's pretty intense. Oh man, yeah. Not not. <laughs> Speaking of hopeful stories. <laughs> well, uh, and here's we're and on here's a good starting. Yes. <laughs> well, what I'm saying, and when I say like hopeful, right? It's it's the connection to humanity that somehow I think we need in this day and age to be reminded of. And, you know, you're, you're one of your first identifiers when I say, who are you, is that you are a Syrian American. And for you, there's, it's not American. Cause I asked you earlier, like, are you first generation? Well, I'm first generation Syrian American. And that's a huge part of your identity. And I think your, your commitment to raising awareness, raising money, um, being supportive to, folks in Syria and not, I don't want to just say like Syria in general. Right. But like the people who are there, mm -hmm. who are in a, a, a very harrowing situation, um, is what gives me a lot of hope when I think about this. And when I think about the conversations that we've had about this and that, you know, we'll have this evening, it's an opportunity. I think you more than anyone else, I'll say who I, I feel like their, their artwork is really connected to, activism to awareness like this is really a huge part of of basil and the supernaturals it's not just hey i like music and i want to make music this is a part of who you are and it's a part of this particular project which i think is amazing yeah <laughs> yes uh it has become over time much more important to me to be very closely connected to this mm -hmm. um I mean, growing up, I, we my whole family would go, uh, like every year or two, we'd go for the entire summer. Um, I have a pretty large family, so like tons of cousins and aunts and uncles and my grandparents. So, you know, we were frequently going there um, growing up. And, you know, I was going roughly like every other year up until about 2006. And then... Um, you know, I always had that connection, but it felt like a completely different world. It really did. You know, I'd come back. It was so in intense. You'd come back to the States and just, you know, the things you'd crave because you had such easy access to Mexican food, you know, for yeah. example. So our whole family, every single time we'd immediately, we'd get off the plane and go to <laughs> Chi-Chi's and just beast on, on like burritos and nachos and whatever. It was mm. so... Good. Until so my brother just straight up took a, an entire can of refried beans and just ate the whole damn thing. Like That's right, serious. <laughs> right Ooh, professors just, over here are like, yeah, I get it. You understand that? You understand that life? Okay, I get it. It's like, it's like when you'd go there, it's just like you didn't, I mean, you, you, you didn't have that type of like international access. You didn't have 
foreign brands w- mm-hmm. weren't really invested uh, in Syria, so you didn't have like it, it was just harder to to get like Doritos or like <laughs> random things that you just don't even think about. You wouldn't find a burger or a pizza th- the same way ever. Yeah. So, you know, I was like felt that connection, and I'd come home and just be like, oh man, like kiss the floor i'm so glad i'm here i can smell it in the air like i'm home um you know but then really like when when things started taking a turn for the worse like after like from the arab spring and beyond um you know there's there's a sense of helplessness that comes with that yeah and this strange sense of guilt as to like it's not like i chose to be in the states but i had the fortune to be here Mm. And none of my family had them. Yeah. So well, what am I going to do about that sense of privilege? Because I'm here and they're not. Yeah. What am I going to do to create some sort of positive light through that, you know, while my, while my family's suffering and while they're friends and everybody, I mean, they're, my cousin was taking his exam in college when the University of Aleppo was bombed and several of his friends died right there. And... You know, I have cousins that have just been terrified to even think about going back to school since. Um, I mean, just that environment, it's unreal. So it's like, I felt like you can cope with that guilt by pushing it away and doing your daily thing, going to work, doing what you got to do. And I think a lot of people probably choose to do that. Yeah, and you can't blame them. It doesn't make anybody a bad person, but like, it is a distant issue. Mm -hmm. And it is really hard to figure out how to contribute to this in in a positive way. So it's like when you get stuck on it and the death tolls are rising and the circumstances just spinning out of control. It's like, what, what can you do? You know, like, are you going to sit in that depression every single day and just look at these images and just, Oh, well, here I am, you know? So so you try to just find that sense of normalcy, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can also just, uh, just do what you can do. Um, I feel like, I'm just grateful to to have a voice like as an artist to be able to connect to this issue in yeah. in some way. Um and you know, I think getting connected to that creatively was a huge challenge for me because mm-hmm. we were, you know, you heard Dreamer which is uh, it was it's all it's all soul, it's funk. Um it's it's pretty like feel like feel good. Yeah. And you know, addressing some of the like dark dark tones that exist through this circumstance was incredibly challenging yeah um so yeah i mean i think that it's it's become increasingly important over time and um i especially as we got deeper on the road uh playing in all all over the country and, and stepping into places like Wichita, Kansas, or New Hampshire, um, where we've done some collaborations, um, where I'd actually like play in a church and talk to people about what it means to be Syrian American and talk about the organizations that are doing like good work and just be there to answer questions. I realized so many people really want to make a positive difference and they just don't even know where to start. Well, it's like your, your point about hopelessness, right? You're Mm -hmm. so far away you have a sense that there are some humanitarian groups that you could give to, but you give people some real clarity around how to how to take action. Always trying, you know. I think I think it is just being available to answer those questions because 
you know, as I feel like if if you were to just look at the news and try to understand what's what's happening, you'd get very con- confused because it has become distorted. Mm-hmm. What started as something per- very black and white um, has become a lot more confusing. And the things that they focus on, too, in the news are very like political and controversial um and you sort of lose sight of the 10 million lives that are just dragged right into the middle absolutely um and so sometimes i think just laying that out for people is like here's how we got to this point Mm -hmm. and here's here are some personal connections to this and then here are specific organizations that are doing work in various regards that if you feel comfortable, you want to help kids get back into schools, if you want to provide blankets, if you want to help create field hospitals for those who are injured, um, if you want to help pe- refugees outside of Syria in those camps, like there are different organizations that are focusing on different things. Yeah. Or policy, you know, here in the States for Syrian refugees. There are so many organizations that, that you can look to, but it's hard to know where to go without some direction. Yeah. I mean, and as an ignorant American, you can, you know, you look at these and I'm, I'm talking about myself here. <laughs> I'm an ignorant American here. No, but it, it's so easy to look at it and say, oh, I can't, I can't necessarily really do anything. And I always have a little bit of a fear when there's humanitarian aid going to a, to a, to a place that I'm giving to the right organization. Cause you hear so many horror stories about, you know, donations being used improperly or, or, um, funding that's promised to one project goes to something else. And it's not like, you know, I'm super, super, if, if it goes to something that's great, fine. I don't care if it, if I, what I wanted was to help get kids back in school and what it actually went to was emergency housing. Cause both of those things are equally necessary for, for folks. I just don't necessarily know. Like, do you feel like it's your, like you have to put a lot of effort and work into finding the right humanitarian organizations or does it feel like you're able to really connect people to, to the right ones pretty easily? It's been pretty organic. Yeah. Um, surprisingly. Um, just because there's something interesting about Syrian culture where like, you know, if I ever meet somebody who's Syrian and I'm like, Hey mom. Oh yeah. You know, I met, I met somebody who is, is, uh, is Syrian. Oh, well, she's like, what's their last name? <laughs> <laughs> Then suddenly she's like, oh, that's so-and-so sister's brother-in-law's daughter's Stop dog. It. Like, <laughs> No, is this because your mom is nosy? Because maybe this isn't partially, about Syrian culture. Partially. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, I mean, th- there does end up being this this um, connection there. And, um, you know, I've just found that people that we are peripherally connected to yeah. are, are involved in some really incredible work. And they know a lot of people who are involved in incredible work. And so I've, I've oh, found so helpful. There's like, like you know, the people that, that are on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I've, I've, I've met people from these different organizations and have followed them closely and have gotten a much better sense of the type of work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like particularly the Syrian activists in the U S right now are, are making it a point to be very present and going around and collaborating with schools and, you know, all types of organizations to to talk about their, their mission, like the type of work that they're doing. They're really making themselves visible. Mm-hmm. And this seems like a, uh, I mean, it's humanitarian crisis where you can actually, because of, because of Twitter and social media and all that kind of stuff, like you can hear from the people on the ground maybe in a way that you, you couldn't have in previous crises. You, I mean, you think about like what was going on in Bosnia in like the mid nineties, you couldn't necessarily hear from individual people 
what was going on in that same way. There's not access to those stories that are on the ground. And I think that's that's very helpful in that you can get this kind of great information. But the other side of that is then it really spurs people to action. They see they see photos, images. They see, um, you know, when everything sort of um, came to a head at the end of December, I think it was, um, there were there were these massive stories about the humanitarian crisis and people were really, really up in arms and there's a lot of that. Do you feel like it's important to keep that story going? Because again, there, there'll be a spike in awareness and a spike in action when there's a certain story or there's an image or there's um, a reason for headlines, we'll say, beyond the fact that just it is an ongoing crisis. Do you feel like you have to sort of wake people up out of that fatigue a little bit? Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, it's because it, it the the standard has become, you know, 40, 50 deaths in a day or 100 yeah. and 150. It's just become another statistic. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to think that there's that many deaths happening right in, right there. Yeah. And it, we're seeing it happen. Um, and it's just like it doesn't access people somehow. Yeah. So when you do personalize a story... Um, I think it, it allows people to create that, to create that connection and to relate on a, on a deeper level. Yeah. And so when you saw the the portrait of the of the child who washed up on shore, mm. that touched a lot of people because they they can think of like man like what if that was, what if that was my child, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, that there were two iconic photographs because there was the kid also in the ambulance. Yeah. I think people in particular they they see that and they just have this immediate reaction because. It's like when you see another kid, it almost feels like it's one of your own because you see the helplessness there. Yeah, and that was right. I think when it was Aleppo had sort of been taken, retaken, the eastern side of Aleppo. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, is it is it a little bit difficult for you because it's like these images of children when you're like, okay, it's not just kids, guys. I get it. You're you're spurred to action by this, but like it's a whole bunch of people that are. I mean, displaced, that are killed, that are that are living lives of complete chaos and stress all the time. Is that difficult? I mean, it's definitely difficult, but honestly, it's it's whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if it's there, there are women, there are there are fathers, there are mothers, there are entire families. Um, there are artists, there are doctors. Like everybody has been affected by this. So whatever is gonna tell that story, yeah should be on display. So, you know, I don't know what it is about specific stories like that, that just explode uh, in in this way that, that, that touch people. Um, but there's, you know, if, if that's what it, if that's what it takes to like really promote those particular stories that people can access, I guess there's not like a frustration rooted with, Mm. with with that so much, you know, it's just as, as, as there much as, as much as there is just like a deeper frustration, from how often horrible things happen and don't even make it in any headline anywhere. Um, So it's like that, that has been unnerving and really difficult to stomach because I, I'm, I'm hearing of a a lot of that happening. Like, Oh, 150 people died right by my uncle's house today. And there's not even a word about it in the news. Yeah. I mean, it's not a normal news day. Here in the West, but still, I mean, that's a, for lack of a better term, a story that should trump a lot of things that are happening here on our side. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about 
the new uh, the new album Elements. And you've got a Kickstarter campaign that's still going on, which we definitely want to talk a little bit about. Um, and I want to hear I want to hear some good stories about creating it and making it and what that's been like for you guys. Um, but before we do that, we're going to hear some of your music. Um, have you decided which ones you want us to play? Yeah. You got a first one? You, is there anything we should know about it before we play it? I feel like just given the topic yeah. uh, that we're on right now, that Lost would be a good starting point. Let's Lost is a personal story uh, related to Syria. It's about my... It's about two separate losses, and it's a good segue to in the next piece, but um, loss has definitely been a theme, unfortunately, with this record. Uh, so the song was inspired by the loss of my cousin in Syria, uh, who was a PhD in biology. She was one step away from, from getting her doctorate, um, and uh, she was just caught in the crossfire. She was on a bus to go visit her sister, and somebody shot at the bus. Uh, so it's inspired through that and through the loss of our uh, bassist, Mason Cormie, um, who is the bassist who recorded on our record, but we tragically lost him back in April. So, uh, this combines those two stories in a pretty, uh, gut-wrenching tune. It's real. It's real. We'll take a listen and we'll be back more, uh, to talk about the album, uh, with Basil Amadani. Stick with us. Like a photograph, some might say Chopped up and framed Matted for the world on display Take a look up close Tell me what you see Mistakes that just get louder, louder, louder. She's an angel, I must say, as she digs into my mind. Got me changing for the better. Yes, I finally Feeling that you're reaching all around, so I sneak you in while the image starts and rapidly breaking the ground. A reflection of me is pouring out. I sneak you in between my eyes and underneath my. 
with Basil. We wanted to talk a little bit in this block about this new album, this new project, Um, and it being really inspired by some heavy stuff this year, but it being, is it, would you call it a departure from what people would know you for? This sort of like more upbeat, funky style with this awareness, with this passion for this humanitarian issue? I see it more as an extension, because... Uh, definitely still very soulful backbone. Um, but you know, the, the context has become, it's just deeper. Yeah. It's a lot deeper and the influences too around the album and the musicians that are on this particular record, uh, you know, just really got into these stories and we created around them. Um, so it, it doesn't feel like a departure so much as an extension. I love it. And you work with, it's a nine piece, the Supernaturals. Well, the Supernaturals would be eight, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so on the record, let's see. I mean, our Chicago shows usually feature nine of us. Got it. Um, On the road, we'll tour seven. And that's still a lot lot of of people. people. (laughs) A lot of people. 
Um, but then on the record, we featured, you know, auxiliary percussionists. We had several backup vocalists. We had some strings, some woodwinds. And so there was, you know, 20 plus musicians involved on, on the actual record. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, I'd say our, our core, like when you see us on at, at a bigger show in Chicago, it's usually roughly nine. Yeah. And then when you were talking earlier, you'd mentioned um, the song that we just heard, Lost. Um, part of this album has has become a bit of a tribute to this bass player who was, I'm sure, an integral part of, of your life, not just mm-hmm. this particular project. Um, talk about how you really hope that this pays homage to him. Mason is just unbelievably funky. <laughs> um, like nothing I had ever seen um, there were so many shows we played where like people were just like staring at his <laughs> bass the whole time. <laughs> he was also just like a really quirky guy, like character yeah. and, and everything all around it. So, it's, um, you know, the video for this track, Sneak You In, uh, we just posted it yesterday and it's like a compilation of footage from the studio, uh, from rehearsals, from the road on tour. And um, it was a trip down memory lane just to see, like, all the quirky personalities interacting with each other and just, like, re- reliving that. Uh, obviously, we've kind of gone through a pretty dark time since uh, since we, you know, since he passed. But, like, that was so positive, just looking through all the footage and just remembering how beautiful the experiences were. Yeah. Uh, put Putting all this together. And so, you know, I mean, he's... He is so present on this album. Like you can't, you can't not notice the bass. Um, in fact, the the record ends with him on upright bass, which is like what he studied. Uh, there's like one track that it, it's a very, it's pretty orchestral, and it ends on upright bass, like him on upright bass. That's great. Um, so there, yeah, there's there's a lot of, yeah, there's there's a lot of tributes to, to Mason in this record for sure. I love it. So what was the process like making it? Obviously, um, you wanted to extend and continue along with this uh, narrative that you've been creating. But there's a big gap sort of between Dreamer was, what, 2013? Mm-hmm. Um, we're in 2017 now, obviously recording it in 2016. Um, but what was the process like that led you, you think, to making this particular record at this particular time? Um, yeah, so... I think the best way to answer that, I guess, after Dreamer, I really sat with, you know, the the crisis in particular, and and wrote in a more direct way around this particular issue. So that was part of it. Was tapping into that was unlike anything I had tried before. Then I started. Uh, I mean, a lot of the musicians I worked with on Dreamer are actually pretty much. I don't know if a single person from Dreamer is still in Chicago. Maybe. Yeah. There actually, there's a couple. Yeah. There's few of the, few of the guys from that were recorded on Dreamer are still here, but like a lot of them actually don't even live in Chicago anymore. So, um, I created just like, uh, I connected creatively with different musicians and created an organic relationship with them and jammed and got a vibe with like, how do we interact with each other on a creative level? Uh, and built a, a much more cohesive group of gentlemen that like we 
just get along really well <laughs> you know like it's it's a nice it's, it's just like a, it's it's fun well that's the, the kind of thing i would hope would spur an album like this yeah i think i think there was just a lot more fun embedded in, even though it's like a darker album in a lot of ways mm-hmm. there was a lot of fun i would talk about like an idea what inspired that the the visuals in my brain when i started playing it and like where i see this going uh, and we would sort of create in that environment um and so we would just go on 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 these writing benches so a lot of times i would just you know i, I bring something to the table here's an idea that i that i've been working on um and then you know my uh keyboardist phil uh said there i guess I have two keyboardists, one that lives in Chicago and one that doesn't, but we still all work closely together. Um, you can't really have too many keyboardists? <laughs> you can never have Is that too a... many keyboardists. Never. Um, but we would, yeah, I mean, we would just sort of sit on an idea and just jam. And um, a lot of times, I mean, or uh, same with my guitarist, but a lot of times it was just, it, I would get behind the drum set and my guitarist would get behind the keyboard and we're changing up instruments to really just think outside of out of the box and just like sit in the music and play what feels right. Um, and so every song has its own story on yeah. how it was created. Um, there was somewhere we just organically started writing a, a song together and it, um, there are songs where my keyboardist first initially brought something to the table and then we expanded on that. But I think everybody was just down to contribute. Mm. You know, and there was it was a much more fun and engaging process for everybody that was involved with it. This time it's around. like you hit a really lovely balance between honoring all of the different diverse spaces that people people bring in, right? Like everybody's got their own style, their own taste, their own ideas when it comes to the writing, but also leveraging that in some real organic loving relationships with one another right so you can bring that space and challenge each other and create something new which is always a good space to be in absolutely yeah i mean a, a good friend of mine um is an artist named sin Kane. well his name is ahmed his product is sin Kane. Hmm. um and and every time i sort of like you know we we vent we talk about all the crazy things that exist in the music industry i mean it always reminds me to just have fun yeah and I did make a point to do that with this album and writing. It was just to like have a good time with it and surround myself by people that I truly enjoy being around. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to like really delve into it. So I was a uh, consumer that participated in your pre-order campaign, which is going on until the end of the month, end of January 2017. Um, part of this campaign is also a fundraiser for humanitarian efforts for folks in Syria. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, this is, it's not like um, raising funds, raising awareness is is anywhere far from what you're doing. But talk specifically about this campaign, what you're hoping folks kind of contribute, how you're hoping this, um, this lead up to um, the album being fully released in February, how this has been for you, what you're hoping for. Yeah, well, you know, with this pre-order, so... We're donating 20% of the proceeds to humanitarian relief for Syria. And then everything, or 50% of everything above the goal will also contribute. And we're doing that through an organization named Karam Foundation, K-A-R-A-M. Um, they are a phenomenal group of people, and their whole mission is centered around building a better future for Syria. So they go to the to the refugee camps outside of Syria and, 
and work with uh, families and, and, and kiddos and get them back at, back in schools. Uh, um, they, they supply them with, with resources for school. They get them bus transportation. They'll sponsor families and get them, uh, you know, blankets and gloves and winter, like various winter aid kits. Uh, they're just doing a lot of really very powerful, powerful work. Um, you know, and just as like a quick segue, I guess for me, like that's where I've, I've really liked investing efforts into the future of Syria. I mean, these kids, they own their destiny. Mm-hmm. They are the future. Uh, and so if you don't give them some semblance of normalcy, get them back in schools and able to develop on their own, then they can't steer the ship. Yeah. So I think just empowering those those kids and getting them back into schools is, is so crucial. Yeah. Um, and so with this pre-order, I've just been largely saying, Hey, build with us. We're building, you know, we're building a better future here. Yeah. Um, it's, it's less of a call for help, um, than it is just, just sort of building together. Like we have this album, we're super proud of it. And the idea with this campaign was to get it in as many hands as possible to share in this initiative, in this message uh, and to, to be part of that together. So to really get that sense of support for what we're doing through this project. Um, I don't know. I've just seen a lot of crowdfunding projects. It's like, help us get this started. And I just, I, I guess for this one, I, I kind of wanted to stay away from, from the call for help because yeah. we've been working on this record for two years. Like we can't wait to get it to you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and tying it to that hope that I was talking about earlier, it's not, you know, oh my goodness, this is, this is, a place where there will be nothing and, and everything's being decimated. You're right. It's a place where people are actively working to rebuild. And it's it's not a place where people want to flee. They have to, but they want to come home and they want to rebuild and they want to continue to build a Syrian way of life for their children and for the future. And that's always a great reminder when we see something and we feel so hopeless and we feel like everything is lost. And the narrative that we get in the West is everything is terrible. Um, that's an important message to be able to share. Thank you for that. So w- let's take a break and listen to another one. Which one do you want to play second? I'm going to play the other, because I referred to it, uh, Sneak You In. Yeah. Um, this tune is it's about going beyond the photographs or the um, just the, the, the imagery, the social media, and kind of inviting you into our story. And that's why the video is made up of all this footage of of us on the road in the studio is to really just show you the personality of Basil. We'll link to the video too. We'll link to the video too. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So let's take a listen. We'll be back more with Basil. We'll play what slash if we'll maybe lament a little bit on inauguration. Do you, do you want to get grumpy with me? We can get great. Maybe we can get great together (laughs) again. (laughs) Uh, Stick with us. We'll be back more after this. the hey 
watch for the thing. Am I good? Yeah. Okay, whatever. You would have told me if I wasn't. Thank you, Professor. Um, what slash if? What? Not what if. Wait, I'm sorry. I say what if. What do I say? <laughs> I'm sorry, Artbreakers. Man, it was a long hiatus. I gotta put my brain back together. Um, what if is not like what if, but it's what slash if. So these are what or if questions, and some of them have nothing to do with that. Have we had a what if question? <sighs> have we? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But this is an opportunity for us to learn more about Basil. And maybe for you to learn a little more about yourself. <laughs> these questions these questions get silly. Okay. So you, oh, so Basil's going to choose a number that corresponds to a random question. And then he's going to answer it. And maybe if we have time, he'll ask me one. So your numbers are 140, 280. Or I'm sorry, 180, obviously. So 140, 140 and 180, pick a number. Between or those two? Between. 168. <laughs> 168. Ooh. Okay. Uh -oh. What is your favorite holiday and why? Don't say Arbor Day. <laughs> 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 Who does stuff for Arbor Day? Maybe you go plant trees. I don't know. I mean, I'm just super biased here. Okay. I'm trying to get away from the bias, but I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm really into Eid al-Fitr, which is the culmination oh, a of a month of fasting. Oh. Where we, we fast every day from sunrise to sunset. No water, no food. No, no water? No nothing. Okay. And then we eat at sunset. And then at the end of all of that, we do Eid al-Fitr. And specifically, man, the brunch. Like, you miss brunch so much. Like, we live in Chicago. <laughs> it's the city of brunch. And so it was like the first thing. You just get so excited. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go and get all the coffee and eggs that you could possibly fit in your belly. Um, and Which is probably less than you think, I bet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, your stomach, like, shrinks so much. I was going to say. It's unreal. Like, every night at sunset, like, you feel like you could eat, like, a, a whole freaking cow. <laughs> and then you eat, like part of a burger and you're beyond stuffed I so it's it. crazy and then especially it it's also based on a like the islamic calendar is a lunar calendar oh. so it's 10 days shorter so it, it 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 goes 10 days back every year so right now uh it's in like july so sunrise to sunset like oh my gosh it's super so long. long uh <gasps> so we won't eat until sometimes 8 30 or 9 o'clock uh, and then sunrise is like three thirty four in the morning, and so you like eat, and then you're so tired, and you and you go to bed, <laughs> and you're like, all right, that's like the one meal I'm gonna do, cause like I'm not, am I gonna get up in three hours and eat again? You know, so it's it's like tough to manage. In my mind, yes, <laughs> maybe well, you do. I don't know. Growing up, it was super easy, cause it was in the middle of the winter, but like now it's been a whole different process, and a whole new level of appreciation. And by the time we get to Eid al Fitr. It's, so did you do it when you were a kid? Do you do a full fast as a kid? Yeah, I mean, you kind of ease into it. Like, you start by whatever, you know, sacrificing candy 
or TV or whatever oh, it is. Like, I like that. Getting rid of these things that are usually just easy privileges. And you kind of just like, no, like I'm getting rid of that. And you focus on uh, it's it's a very introspective time, like throughout Ramadan, um, like the whole month, because, you know, I mean, like you can't eat lunch. So you'll go on a walk and, and you'll think and you're generally more silent because you don't have like as much energy. So you're just reflecting a lot. Um, and, and that's a big like objective throughout the entire month is to really tap into that introspection. And it's so beautiful and in and, and a lot of ways. Um, and just to get the crap out, you know, like you're not snacking a ton like on junk food and you're not smoking and you're not uh, doing, you know, whatever like normal habits. You sort of break them and you focus on good and how to how to like improve yourself uh, and how to reflect like deeper. And so that's all really beautiful. And then the brunch at the very end, though, is just like <laughs> unlike anything I can explain. I like, believe like, it. One cup of coffee and you're just like zinging off all the walls. <laughs> so I was, I was going to say, I was like, that's like an easy one for me to answer. But like, I feel like I need to be creative and just say, no, like, that's a big one. Bulgarian Independence Day or something. Or It's not Arbor no. Day. Are it's sure? not Arbor Are Day. Sure? I feel like Arbor Day maybe just happened or is about to happen, and that's why it's (laughs) on my brain. I feel like someone was talking about it. But I like that idea of, you know, your your favorite holiday is this, like, huge celebration that is really – it's a celebration, but it's sort of just a returning to normalcy, right? Like, it's this – I've gone through this very pointed opportunity – to not just like reflect, but to to almost like wind down all of these things that aren't necessarily that could be like considered superfluous, right? So again, you talk about candy. I'm not saying food is superfluous. <laughs> like let's let's eat some food, yeah. guys. But you know, it's a celebration of stuff. When I think about like holidays, holidays that are traditional in the Western world of like people wanting to celebrate, it's like Christmas, this time where I get a whole bunch of stuff. Which is similar to brunch after you haven't been able to just freely partake in the foods that you love. Mm -hmm. But there's no sacrifice before it. There's no mindfulness before it. There's no, I mean, in fact, in sort of the Christian calendar, that comes afterwards, right? That like Lenten season where we we sacrifice, you know, a thing. Um, But it's a very different kind of celebration. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of never forget that you're participating in it. You can't. (laughs) Because you have to be, like, really present with what's happening. And the rest of the world is still moving. Like, you still have to work and produce according to deadlines and do whatever you got to do and just find ways. Like, the hardest thing is always the coffee because you just... You you have to, like, wean off of it going into Ramadan because you don't realize how, how, like addictive it really is yeah you can actually kind of hurt yourself if you just like go cold turkey on coffee right yeah i mean it it feels rough and so it's like you kind of i try to trickle down but i I don't do a very good job with it so it's like i get into ramadan and it's so hard to function you feel like you're gonna just like fall asleep (laughs) at like 11 in the noon and then again at two or three it's like just kind Which of is dragging. what I think a lot of people who still drink coffee feel anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we probably we probably don't need to consume as much. I mean, I don't drink coffee like you drink coffee, but no. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, my coffee intake is pretty high. Oh, okay. Well, usually, so we usually tape the show on Saturday mornings, and that's like the one cup of coffee that I'll have during the week. And that's probably like Zach's second cup that day. Oh, uh, yeah. Get, yeah, when we get here in like the late morning or whatever, but... I like that. Most of us don't engage in pointed sacrifice of things. 
Most of us don't engage in any mindful exercise around why we do the things we do and why we consume the things we consume and in what quantities and at the times that we do them. I like that. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard to, like, proactively do that because it's not about, like, the fun of it. But it's like you have this check and you know what's coming mm-hmm. and you force that cleanse, you know? And it's always, like, it's celebratory, but it's always, like, hard to think about, like, oh, man, I'm really going to miss coffee or, <laughs> like, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm going to miss brunch. You prep yourself for it. Yeah, but then once you actually go through it, it's like it really allows you to deeply appreciate it coming out that end. I just will like never... not abuse these things, you know? Well, I was going to say, I will never love brunch. I mean, I think of myself as a brunch person. I'm a Chicagoan. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I think of myself as a as a lover of brunch, but I will never truly love brunch the way you love brunch, Basil. You have that opportunity. I invite you. <laughs> you invite me to celebrate yeah. with you? You can, set, you can at least give up just brunch for the month, and then we'll get a slamming brunch at the very end. It'll be so good. I'm into it. It's going to yeah. be so greasy. Nasty. The real Terrible. question is where? Terrible. Everywhere, actually. <laughs> Do a, a, a brunch crawl? Is that a thing? Brunch, oh. a brunch crawl? If not, is that a thing? then if not, we're, yeah, we have an idea here. I like it. Post-Ramadan. <laughs> breakfast brunch crawl <laughs> I think we could end up just sprawled out on the sidewalk the same way yeah. people do after pub crawls Yeah, only mm-hmm. from the itis rather than <laughs> from from just two full bellies that'll happen that'll happen so we're in a very strange time this is a this is a post what, what are people calling it? Post-truth era? Where truth isn't a thing anymore? Post Facts good. don't. Fo- post. Basil. <laughs> Hope, right? Oh, wait. No, that was the last no, guy. No, no, That's not this good. guy. That's the last guy. We've graduated from good to great. <laughs> That's my point. We've evolved. So with the time we have left, what are your reflections with this, this changing of the guard we have in the United States? With a... With a more cosmopolitan understanding of the world than I as an ignorant American have. And maybe it has nothing to do with that. You know, maybe it just has has to do with your thoughts and feelings as a thinking, compassionate human being. Who cares what your international connections are? You know, what are your thoughts on where we are today? Well, you know, I mean, when the election actually came around, it was difficult to stomach the rhetoric that was just existing in the air um and just the result of it was hard to digest and since then you know i guess i've I've come around to just accepting the reality for what it is and i guess on a hopeful note it's been really nice just to see people speaking up and people being outrightly supportive for things that there have been undertones against, you know, I can say specifically to like the Muslim population, the Arab population in the U.S. has been experiencing a lot of passive uh, racism for a long time. Yeah. And I think so many people, you know, who haven't experienced that or maybe just don't know how deep that's like really since 9-11 what that experience has been like for, for Muslim Americans. Um, and I feel like now more than ever, you're seeing people like outrightly supportive. Like I, I, you know, like 
just like churches in Texas or whatever it is that are like, you know, they have photographs of them with like Muslims and or, or Muslims and Jewish people coming together to say like, we stand as one, you know, like, like I haven't seen before that type of unity against this rhetoric that's like, it's coming from the other side as mm-hmm. to like, no, no, the new standard is we're going to get rid of this problem. If people yeah. are like, actually, no, these are my brothers and sisters and I'm going to really embrace that right now. Um, and, and like, just like this, the women March, uh, that's, that are, that's taken place this weekend. Um, whether it's in DC or Chicago, like there's so many, there's, there's so many people that yeah. have, I, I know a bunch of people that traveled from Chicago to DC to be part of that. Yeah. So people are just like really acting on these passions they're not just posting and sharing and talking. They're like really putting things into action. And yeah. it's been really, I feel like that's been pretty beautiful to see. And um, I hope that, I hope that continues. Well, and to your point earlier, we have these choices. We have opportunity to decide we don't want to deal with it, put our head in the sand and continue living a life, right? Because we don't live in a space of complete chaos right now. Mm-hmm. We can ignore a lot of this if we wanted to. Um, but we do have a choice to do something about it. Like you using your music, your voice, your privilege, your opportunity here to ensure that you're doing whatever you can to create awareness, to create support, to create a future. Mm-hmm. Right. Not just for your family, but for Syrians. And yeah. I think that that is hope that, that idea that we can actually choose to do something about it. Um, Oh, and that people are even taking the step to inform themselves about things that they never even thought twice about before. Exactly. You know, you see, we it with can't like, ignore it. Like the cabinet picks, and people like really tuning in, and be like, "Who's actually going to lead up our <laughs> our education?" Yeah, really. Like, when was you the know? last time we cared about that? Yeah, I mean, and it's like it's, I'm I, I'm I'm guilty of that too. Absolutely. Like, things that I hadn't really paid attention to in the past that now I'm like, oh well, we should really. Maybe that's part of growing up, too. I don't know, that you, like, start to care more about these things. But it's just, it, it feels a lot more relevant because you realize all the things that are at risk. We've, like, been living kind of comfortably in a bubble for the last eight years. Uh, and now we're realizing, like, the risks that exist around us and all the things that are at stake. And yeah. you, you learn to appreciate it and to stand behind it. Yeah. So. But you're right that even that bubble that we lived in, you know, we... we didn't necessarily understand how that bubble, even as, you know, great as it is compared to other things, still left certain people that are our brothers and sisters, that are people we love out in the cold or vulnerable to attack in ways that we could stand up and support. You know, and, and it doesn't matter who the we is, right? It doesn't matter if it's women. It doesn't matter if it's white folks. It doesn't matter if it's people with money. It doesn't matter who you are. There's someone that you can support and there's someone that you love that has been impacted by some pretty, you know, insidious stuff that maybe you didn't know about. And you can't, you can't ignore that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. We're going to do this some stuff. This is Professor. the time. This is the time. So we're going to, um, you're going to play us out with another song. Did you decide which one? Yeah, we'll do the hopeful one. Yes. Before <laughs> you do that, I just need to say our break is produced by Zach Fox Jablo, Professor. Whoop, whoop. Find us on Stitcher, um, iTunes, tune in. What's the other one? There's always another one. Did I, say, I said Stitcher iTunes. SoundCloud! <laughs> and we're inside SoundCloud as well. We have lots of great conversations um, coming up for 2017. Basil and the Supernaturals, Elements coming out next month. I'm sorry. Yeah, next month, 24th. Yep. February 24th. You'll have a show at the Double Door. 
the campaign, the pre-order campaign, make sure you are one of the first people to get it. That ends at the end of this month. We'll make sure that we link it um, on the page, and, and uh, no matter where you are, you'll get a, uh, an opportunity to partake in this goodness that is this brand new album, two years in the making. Greatness. Whoop, whoop. I'm excited for it. <laughs> so you're playing us out. Is there anything we need to know about this one other than it's the jam? This one's a funky one. It's called Illusion. <laughs> uh, this is the token... The, the love track. Um, Gotta have one. Yeah, no, I uh, had to write the, 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 the fun love song about, uh, about my wife. So we got married just a little over two years ago. Yeah. So this is the like all out, fun, exciting funk song. That and I make for. sure to remind her that she's the bomb. Oh, yeah. You probably tell her every day, but hey, babe, just in case you didn't know, here it is immortalized <laughs> forever on Elements. I always kind of embarrass her like when we play this at shows too. Cause Good. She's like, don't. You're like, no, oh my god, no. And no. So I just, like, oh, make it more of a point to be like, the one right there with the blue shirt on. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that one right there. <laughs> yep, there you go. There's nothing more hopeful than completely embarrassing the person you love <laughs> because you love them so much. Yeah. I'm into that. Basil Amadani, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Anytime. All right. And here we go with Illusion. This is our break until next week. Peace.
I know, yes I know 